ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाया ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाया ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाया December 27, 2011, in Radha Belgium, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 8, The Character of Bharat Maharaj, Text 15. Anyada brisham udvigna mana nasta dravina iha kripana sankarunam atitarshena harina kunaka viraha vivala ridaya santapas tam evanushochan Kila Kasmalam Mahad Abhirambita Iti Hovacha Anyada Sometimes not seeing the calf Vrisham Very much Udvigna Manaha His mind full of anxiety Nastadravinaha Who has lost his riches Eva, like Kripana, a miserly man, Sakarunam, piteously, Atitarshnena, with great anxiety, Harina Kunaka, from the calf of the deer, Vidaha, by separation, Vivala, Agitated, Ridaya, in mind or heart, Santapaha, whose afflictions, Tam, that calf, Eva, only, Anusochan, continuously thinking of, Kila, certainly, Kasmalam, illusion, Mahat, very great, Abhirambita, obtained, iti, thus, ha, certainly, uvacha, said. Translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada. If Bharat Maharaja sometimes could not see the deer, his mind would be very agitated. He would become like a miser who, having obtained some riches, had lost them and had then become very unhappy. When the deer was gone, he would be filled with anxiety and would lament due to separation. Thus he would become illusion and speak as follows. Purport. If a poor man loses some money or gold, he at once becomes very agitated. Similarly, the mind of Maharaj Bharat would become agitated when he did not see the deer. This is an example of how our attachment can be transferred. If our attachment is transferred to the Lord's service, we progress. Srila Rupa Goswami prayed to the Lord that he would be as naturally attracted to the Lord's service as young men and young women are naturally attracted to each other. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu exhibited such attachment to the Lord when he jumped into the ocean or cried at night in separation. However, if our attachment is diverted to material things instead of to the Lord, we will fall down from the spiritual platform. If Bharat Maharaj sometimes could not see the deer, his mind would be very agitated. He would become like a miser who, having obtained some riches, had lost them and had then become very unhappy. When the deer was gone, he would be filled with anxiety and would lament due to separation. Thus he would become illusioned and speak as follows. So we find that our suffering in this world, Bharat Maharaj is suffering. He's experiencing great anxiety. His heart and mind are disturbed. That this is all due to attachment. If we can think about the last time we were very disturbed, we're very much in anxiety, and we analyze why were we disturbed, we will see that one of our attachments was being threatened. Maybe somebody threatened our source of income or someone threatened our food supply 
or our clothing or our place to live or our standing in the community, our, our service, that something we're doing that gives meaning to our life where we feel, okay, I'm, this is what fulfills me and what gives me meaning, uh, our reputation, our health, uh, something was being threatened in our life. And this is Bart Maharaj. As soon as he doesn't see the deer, he feels an anxiety. He's obviously thinking that the deer was the source of something that he really needed. Now, we're not sure exactly what. Perhaps he's thinking the deer is my source of feeling that I'm doing something meaningful, that I'm being the protector. You know, I'm, I'm still acting as the king and the the protector of the citizens. And if the deer goes away, I will have failed in my duty and my life will then become meaningless. <laughs> Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that he was thinking, without this deer, how will I have a reciprocation of love and affection? Something like that. That something essential that I need is going to be taken away. <coughs> you know, at the, at just like when you go through the airport security, you know, and they're looking at your things. And, you know, you have your medicines with you or you have your electronics and they're looking at your electronics. What do you use this for? And you're thinking, oh, please don't take my MP3 player away. Right? And there's some anxiety. What's this? What do you use it for? Show it to me. And you're feeling, oh, if they take my MP3 player away, what will I do? What will I listen to on the plane? Then I'll have to buy another one. And do I have enough money? And What will I do? So this is the source of, of all of our anxiety. You know, lamenting over what we've lost in the past. Oh, if only I had made this decision and that decision. Then I would have this and that thing and I'd be so much happier. And worrying about protecting what I have right now and worrying about what I'm going to lose in the future. You know, what will I do if this thing breaks or this person goes away or this situation changes and what will happen and what will happen and what will happen and then I won't have this and I won't have that. So the Buddhists and the impersonalists' cure for this is they say simply give up all attachment. So the impersonalists say realize that you're a spiritual being who doesn't need anything in this world. And by the way, that's true. But their solution is just exist. Actually, you don't need anything in this world. You can exist without it. And just be satisfied with yourself. And then the voidists say you're nothing. <laughs> you don't even you don't exist. So you don't exist, and nothing exists, and therefore there's no you to need anything. So become nothing, and then you'll have no attachments and no anxiety. Of course, that's not a terribly good solution. That's something like you know, if your room is dirty, you just blow up your room. You're not getting along with your friends. You just shoot your friends. Or, you, know, you don't have any friends anymore. You just don't have any friends anymore. And then you won't have any anxiety. You know, when I was growing up, there was a, a, a hit song like that. You know, everybody's disturbing me, so I'm just going to go in my room and become a rock. And this is the philosophy people go to, this nihilism. And then there are others who say, well, that's not very attractive. I don't want to just be floating in a light and nor do I want to become nothing Uh, so I'll take the attachments of this world even though they all cause me suffering at least I get some pleasure from the attachments and one does one does get some pleasure from one's material attachments undoubtedly but mostly one gets suffering one is uh, worried about how I'm going to get them and I'm worried about how I'm going to keep them and if I don't see them for a moment I become an anxiety you know, again, I especially experience this when traveling. You know, where's my passport? Where's my ticket? Where's my bag? And if I don't see it for a moment, I feel an anxiety. So this is how Bart Marsh is feeling about the deer. You know, where's my deer? Where's my deer? I mean, each of us are sitting peacefully in this room right now because whatever our other attachments are, we feel are in a secure place. You know, if somebody came in and said, Oh, there was a fire in the other building. We would all run out of the room and forget about Bhagavatam. You know, what's happening to my things? I actually saw this one time in a temple where there was a fire in the uh, parking lot, in the car park, and everybody left the program to went to, to go to see, is my car on fire? You know, have I lost my car? 
so that's that's the nature of the thing. We think, okay, I've I've taken all my attachment. I'm getting along with my family. I'm getting along with my friends. I have a secure situation and service in the Hare Krishna movement. And I locked my door. I checked that it was locked, and my money and my computer and my whatever it is I'm attached to, you know, my clothes, they're all safe in my room with the door locked. And so, therefore, I can peacefully hear the Bhagavatam. Okay. So this was Bart's position. He's saying, as long as I can see the deer, then I can sit and meditate. But as soon as the deer walks away, then my meditation is broken. So what's our bhakti solution? Our bhakti solution is not to just say, well, okay, the material world's a bad deal, but I'm going to just keep my material attachments anyway. It's all I've got. Nor do we say that we want to become nothing. And nor do we say that we want to just be in the light and have no attachments. Our bhakti position is that we want to intensify our attachment and redirect it to Krishna. We want very intense attachment. I mean, Srila Prabhupada's talking here about Mahaprabhu, how he walks past the ocean and he thinks, oh, that's the Yamuna. There's Krishna and the Yamuna. Let me go to Krishna. And he runs in the ocean. I mean, it's It's madness. We try in this world to hide our madness of attachment. We try to pretend that we're not madly attached to the things of this world. We try to pretend that we're just peaceful. And then, of course, when one of our attachments gets threatened, then our actual madness manifests itself. We become very angry, or we become very depressed, or right? And in civilized society, you're not supposed to show that very much. You're supposed to kind of keep it covered. And yes, yes, I'm peaceful. Everything's okay. <laughs> and then if someone comes in and says, your room's been ransacked and all of your possessions have been stolen, right? then you're going to manifest your actual, <laughs> the level of our madness. So we're afraid materially of this madness. Uh, we should be. We should be afraid of material madness. I mean, it's in the madness of attachment that at least half the murders are committed. Half the murders, you know, are committed by people who know each other out of some sort of attachment. So we're justifiably afraid of it. But this madness of love for Krishna is wonderful. It's above the level of self-control. I mean, that's a pretty interesting concept. Because Rupa Goswami says, Vacha Vegam, Manasakrota Vegam, Jiva Vegam, Udhra Vegam. To be able to control all of the urgings of the mind and the emotions and the body. Krishna talks throughout the, the Gita of how the devotee is equipoised in happiness, distress, heat and cold, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy. They see pebble, stone, gold is the same. They see the neutral, the well-wishers, and the enemies all with an equal mind. This detachment, this state of being equal and not caring for the things of this world. So above that is the madness of bhakti. In other words, the madness of love for Krishna, the madness of attachment for Krishna, is only exhibited by someone who's materially equipoised. And materially, we don't want our attachments and our emotions to govern our behavior and our thoughts. Otherwise, we become like crazy people or like animals. But spiritually, the most advanced devotees do allow their spiritual emotions to govern their behavior even to the point of Mahaprabhu running into the ocean. I, I was also thinking about the resonance of Vrindavan when Krishna's in, in the coils of Kaliya and how they practically die because Krishna's made, of course, Krishna can't die. Even they can't die. Even we can't die. <laughs> but they're thinking like that. Krishna's going to die. And what's interesting is it says there that they had invested everything in Krishna. So that this is the nature of attachment. Attachment is what have I invested in? What have I decided this is what's going to fulfill my needs? This is what's going to give me what I need and above that even what I want. And I invest my energy and I invest my thinking, feeling, and willing. Just like you put money into a bank. You invest in something. And if, you know, or you invest in some company and then if the company has trouble, you know, you may jump out the window. <laughs> it actually happens. People invest in companies and the companies go under and they jump out the windows. 
Now my life is useless because everything I've invested in is gone. Or it happens with relationships. A person invests everything in the one that they love. And if that person is unfaithful or shown to be some kind of a cheater or dies, then they may also give up their life. So the residents of Vrindavan, they've made this investment in Krishna. So materially, to be governed by these investments makes us act in ways that are contrary to our own nature and only bring us distress. And we've all had this experience over and over and over again. But because Krishna is actually the proper place to invest everything, to become mad with grief, if it appears that something's going to happen to Krishna, makes us the most sane and sober and balanced person. Because Krishna actually can't be shaken. Nothing can actually happen to Krishna. Our relationship with Krishna is eternal and is secure and is real. Therefore, all of our behavior is then on the platform of truth and reality, whereas material attachments are all false. You know, whatever company you invest in, someday or the other is going to go under, or you'll die. It'll be broken. Either the company will fail while you're alive, or you'll fail, and you'll leave this body. And that company will no longer be able to protect you and maintain you. The people whom we love, even if they're faithful and they're loyal and they're caring and so forth, they can't meet all of our needs. Sometimes they have to take care of themselves. <laughs> they also just may not have the capacity. They're, they're a limited living entity. We know this in all our relationships. If we want to be happy in our relationships, we have to think, well, this person has their limitations. If you expect everything from another person, you'll become very angry with them. And what to speak of that person will also die. And then where will they be to meet our needs? Or I may die. So the relationship will be broken. It will be broken in little ways by the person disappointing me. In the course of our relationship, you're not going to have any relationship with anybody who will never disappoint you. That's just not going to happen. There's going to be ways in which you'll think, oh, I thought this person was like this. I thought they would do this. And they didn't because they just can't, even if they're well-intentioned. And at a certain point, the relationship will just be broken. They'll leave or you'll leave or they'll leave their body. So it's not real. It's, some, it's a false situation. Krishna explains whatever is temporary, that's not, it's not real. Now, it's just like if I invest myself in this, my happiness in this lectern, you know, it's, it's not going to stay here forever. Even the old, how old are the oldest objects on earth that are still in their present form, like the Sphinx or the pyramids, but even they're crumbling. And after a certain point, Buddha, Buddha, Praliyate, it's all going to be finished. So I'm, I'm holding on to something. It's like if you've gotten, jumped off a boat and you're holding on to some you know, piece of wood that's rotting in the water. As you're holding on to it, it's disintegrating. So it's a false position. And anything that we act in attachment to something false is also false. And therefore it's so embarrassing to have these extreme emotions of sadness and anger and fear and bitterness and disappointment and think, oh, I've been cheated. <laughs> you know, for something that was never a shelter in the first place. That just wasn't what it is. You know, it's a temporary arrangement of the material energy. But if our shelter's in Krishna, then that's real. He's there forever. And he's unchanging. He's always who he is and he never leaves and he always has love for us. And he's capable of giving us everything we need. He actually has that capacity. My friend or my husband or my wife or my child or my government or my employer or my organization or whatever doesn't have the capacity. It's temporary and it's limited. Whereas Krishna is eternal and unlimited. He has the capacity and he has the desire so madness in relationship to attachment to Krishna is on the platform of reality. And rather than being embarrassing for the soul, it enriches the soul. It's an ornament for the soul. 
the exhibitions of ecstatic love in the, by the devotees and separation, like Srimati Radharani, when she's talking to a bumblebee. You know, normally if I'm talking to a bumblebee, you'll, you'll think whether or not I should see a, some therapist and get some sort of medication. But she's talking to a bumblebee and she's saying, I know that you're a messenger from Krishna. Listen, let me register all my complaints. So Krishna was here and then he left us and I don't know if he's coming back and he's just like you that just goes from one flower to another and he killed Bali from behind a tree and he uh, cheated the other Bali as mom and Dave. And then the bee flies away and she thinks, oh, now he's telling Krishna all the terrible things I said. And then when he comes back, she thinks, oh, at least he's come back. Oh, I'm so glad you've come back. And then she just starts saying nice things about Krishna. Right, but this is her glory. And we find that the devotees who are mad in love for Krishna, they're the greatest philosophers. Jiva Goswami, Rupa Goswami, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati, Srila Prabhupada. They're great philosophers. They're highly intelligent, self-controlled persons. So we should not be afraid of this madness of attachment. We do not want to be like the impersonalists or like the voidists who try to avoid all attachment. That's not what's going to help us. And anyway, it's not possible. I mean, you can try it for a while. <laughs> I think we've all tried that. Okay, I just won't have any attachments. Now you get attached to something. And you'll get attached to something absurd. You know, you may get attached to your socks. You know, something. We have to seek shelter somewhere. We're... we're beings that are meant to be under shelter either of illusion or of reality we're not we're marginal potency we cannot be the shelter ourselves nor can we be shelterless so you'll find that i mean like bart maraj he became attached to a fawn how absurd for someone who was able to renounce the kingdom of the world and then to become attached to a baby deer so attached that if he didn't see the deer for a moment, he, he lost all of his composure. No, so it will not work for us just to say, I will be just neutral and no attachment. Rather, we need to cultivate an attachment to Krishna, to actively cultivate it. That's, that's really what bhakti is all about. And that can be done from day one in the process of bhakti. It's not that first I have to become materially equipoised and then I can become attached to Krishna. That is, that's not our process. That process is rejected by Krishna in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. It will work, but it's very risky because you have to go first to a platform of no attachment and then develop an attachment to Krishna. And the chances of having, getting to the platform of no attachment are very small because it's an unnatural state. It'd be something like, you know, if you've been eating unhealthy food and you say, okay, well, first I have to fast for 20 days and then I can start eating healthy food. So some people do that. But most people can't fast for 20 days. And that's not even a natural state for the body. We can, like we can say, just start eating healthy food. <laughs> start replacing some of your unhealthy food with healthy food. So that's our process. We replace our foolish attachments to temporary things which cannot actually meet our needs and are not real shelters and will definitely, absolutely definitely, do Kalayama they will definitely disappoint us. It's guaranteed that any material shelter will disappoint us. 100%. I don't care who it is, what it is, how well you manage it, it will disappoint us. It will let us down. So you transfer that same attachment to Krishna. So part of that is becoming aware of the intense attachment we already have. It's already there. And Prabhupada so nicely explains this in his purport to 7.1. And he talks about it here in the today's purport as well. It's, attachment isn't something you have to learn. It's just like he's saying Rupa Goswami is praying, let me be attached to you like young boys and young girls are naturally attracted to each other. You know, you don't have to teach a young boy or a young girl. Okay, now you need to be attached to the boys. It just happens. It just happens. At a certain age, when you're a young girl, you all of a sudden look at the boys and go, oh, he's cute. 
you know, it does, you don't need a lesson on it. So our attachment is already there. And the way that we're attached to members of the opposite sex and the way we're attached to our reputation and the way we're attached to our little room or our little part of the room or the clothes that we have or our talents or our intelligence or particular members of our family or our money or whatever it is. We already have the attachment. All it is is moving the object, taking what's already there and moving it to the proper object. That's all. And people will say, well, then, you know, my attachment to Krishna will also be materially contaminated. That's true. But that's the beginning. Yam krota kama sahaja pranayati biti vatsaya moho guru gorabhasevya bhavai sanchinchitasam sadrisin tanimaparete govindamari purusham tamaham bhajami. It doesn't matter. If our attachment to Krishna starts out because I think Krishna will take care of me materially, or my attachment to Krishna starts out because I think Krishna is going to remove all my suffering, or my attachment to Krishna starts out from lust or anger or fear. It doesn't matter. Attachment to Krishna itself will purify any impurities in that attachment. I don't have to wait until I'm pure to become attached to Krishna. Okay, how do I do it? We have here about these feelings. Bhagavatam is talking about the feelings of Bharat Maharaj. It's like a poor person who got money and then lost it. So if you can think about something that you've been without and you really wanted it and you got it and then you lost it. <laughs> you know, you think, oh, now I've got it and then I've lost it. I, I know this happened, this happened to me with many different things. There was some project I really wanted to do and for years I really wanted to do it and one day I thought, here's the opportunity to do it. Someone's providing the money and providing the space and everything's going to happen to do it. And then after six months it was all taken away. So that's the feeling that I've lost something that's dear and important to me. That, that urging, I have to have it back. Where is it? Where is it? Think of the last time you were looking for something that was really important for you that you couldn't find. And how when you go on and on looking for it, eventually you become almost panicked. Where did I put it? Where did I put my key? Where is it? I know I put it somewhere. Where is it? You're looking for four hours. You know, where's my key? Where's my money or where's my passport or where's my beads or something? I need it right away. Oh my goodness, okay, I can get another one, but I don't have time to get another one and it's going to be so expensive and I have to do this and now I'm going to do it. Where is it? How can I find it? So that's part of this feeling. Where the feeling, like we're talking about the residents of Vrindavan, where they had invested everything in Krishna. You know, think of some, someone or something that we've invested in. We've put a lot of time and energy, money, thought, care into something, maybe amassing a body of knowledge or expertise or talents or developing a relationship with somebody or a, a home, a, a living space. I was with a devotee recently in India who was building her house and so much care to what color tiles are going to go here and how high the sink is going to be. I mean, it's practical because you're going to live there. You don't want a sink where you have to hunch over to use a sink. But think about that kind of investment. We've, we've all made it in something. You know, something that we've really taken a lot of time and care and energy. So to make that investment in Krishna, in Krishna, and make sure it's in Krishna, not in the supporting elements of Krishna consciousness, but directly in Krishna. Not into your room, not into your position, not even into your immediate service or to the structure of the organization, but to Krishna. That Chris, that's where I put my time and energy and thought into cultivating my relationship with Krishna. So to invest our energy like that, have that kind of feeling, and really contemplate Krishna. Because it's explained in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we become attached to whatever we contemplate. And again, we've seen that we can become attached to absurd things. Haven't you ever become attached to something that was just... Someone else will look at it as foolish. If you ever go through the artifacts, the properties of a deceased person you will generally find all sorts of things that are meaningless to everybody else, even in their family. 
and are just thrown away. Or even when someone moves. I had the occasion when somebody moved and they had left files and files and cabinets and cabinets of stuff. And we 90%, 90% of it we threw away or gave away. 90% of it. So, you know, we get attached to some sentimental thing. Oh, this is something my great aunt gave me and whatever. Right? So anything we contemplate, we can become attached to, even something absurd. You know, when people write their doctoral thesis on, you know, the one red-legged crab in the Okitokie River and all these. I mean, if you go through other people's dissertations and you see what people have contemplated, the, the tiny little bit of knowledge they become fixated on. So if we can become attached to insignificant and foolish things just by contemplating them, how much more can we become attached to Krishna if we contemplate him? Because he's wonderful. And he's the actual reason why we get attached to anything else we contemplate, by the way. The reason I get attached to a person I think about, or in this case an animal I think about, or a home, or clothing, or a particular talent or ability that I have, or a particular work that I'm doing, is because there is some reality to that, and that underlying reality is Krishna. Krishna explains in the seventh chapter, particularly the Bhagavad Gita, how he's the essence of everything. Rasoham apsukanteya, we talk about that as the taste of water, but really everything has a rasa, everything has a taste, that sense of pleasure we get from anything. That is Krishna. Krishna is adventure. Krishna is peace. Krishna is that sense of ability. Krishna is our strength, our tapasya. Anything that we're attached to, oh, I'm so, look at my sacrifices, look at my abilities. Anything we take shelter of, that actually is Krishna. So if we think of why am I really attached to whatever, so attached that if it gets shaken, I become angry or I become disturbed, or I become fearful or I become sad. The reason is that ultimately I am attached to Krishna. It's really just becoming aware of what already exists, becoming aware of what's the reality behind it. And then becoming attached properly instead of improperly. You know, putting food in your body through one of the holes of your body is natural. But if you pick the wrong hole, you're not going to get nourished and you become sick. If you say, okay, I'm going to you know, go to breakfast and I'm going to take the bread and butter and put it in my ear. You know, or my eye. Prabhupada said this to us and uh, you asked me for some of my Prabhupada stories. So that's one of them. He said, if you put food in your, in your mouth, you have good eyesight. But if you put food in your eyes, you become blind. So it's the same basic process. I take food, I put it in a bodily hole, and it nourishes my body. But you have to pick which hole. So it's exactly like that. My attachment to material things is really an attachment to Krishna. That's actually what it is. And my intensity of attachment is the natural state of the soul. I'm just doing it in the wrong way. That's all. I'm becoming attached to Krishna in, in, by becoming attached to his energy, thinking it's separate from him and thinking I'm separate from him. It's, it's really, the change is very slight. It's not a huge change. It's not some big, complicated, involved thing. It's that, okay, why am I attached to this thing? Because behind it, it's Krishna. What I'm really attached to Krishna. Okay, let me become attached to Krishna directly. So if I'm attached to money, or whatever means I have of living, we all have some means of living, right? Either, either somebody gives us money, we, we make money somehow, or somebody gives us a place to stay, and somebody gives us food. Generally, there's some exchange going on. I'm doing something, and in exchange, I'm provided with some living situation. Correct? And that thing I'm doing is based on all sorts of things I can't control. It's based on my health. It's based on my intelligence. It's based on my talents. And then it's based on some things I can control, like how determined I am and how responsible I am and things like that. 
So I have some attachment to this. I have some attachment to whatever arrangement is in place for my maintenance, for my getting shelter, am I getting food, am I getting water, etc. Am I getting clean clothes? I have some attachment to that arrangement, which usually has something to do with relationships with other people. So I'm attached to keeping good relationships with the people that are responsible for making the arrangements because if those relationships get get messed up, maybe those people won't be willing to make those arrangements for me anymore. I'm attached to the arrangements themselves. I'm attached to the abilities, physical, mental, emotional, that I have that allow me to be in that arrangement. I'm attached to the knowledge that I've acquired, that I've invested a lot of time and energy in, in order to have that arrangement. Okay, but my knowledge is Krishna. My abilities are Krishna. My strength is Krishna. The food itself is Krishna. The shelter is all made, Bhumirapanalovayu. It's all made of Krishna's energies. The other people that I'm associating with, ultimately, that's Krishna. He's the super soul. He leaves, then there's, no, there's nobody there with whom I can have a relationship with. So who's really maintaining me? Krishna. In every respect. So then I become attached to Krishna. And then even if the external arrangement that Krishna has made for my maintenance falls apart, it doesn't matter because that wasn't what was maintaining me. Does that make sense? Let's say somebody was sending you money in the mail every month. And then they decide instead of sending you a check in the mail, they're going to wire you the money by Western Union. Would you become disturbed? Or they say, instead of sending you a check, I'm going to make a deposit into your bank account. If they change the way it's delivered, would that be anxiety for you? No. So we materially attachment means I'm becoming attached to the way it's delivered. And I'm thinking that I'm the doer. Instead of becoming attached to the actual giver. Which is madness. How are you going to be happy like that? Imagine a marriage like that. If instead of being attached to your spouse, you were just attached to what they did for you and you didn't have any personal relationship with them. It wouldn't be a very pleasant relationship, would it? And imagine if someone treated you that way. Suppose somebody, I'm sure we've had people in our life who treated us that way. If somebody was just attached to what I did for them and didn't care about me. It's not very pleasing. So that's all. We're just going, going underneath what we were attached to and seeing, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> underneath everything is Krishna. Behind everything is Krishna. Sutra Mani Ganaiva. So you have a string of pearls. Someone's wearing a nice necklace. You know, or you have neck beads that are on a string. So you don't see the string, but without the string, the beads fall. They're scattered. So underneath everything that we're attached to, there's Krishna. And he kind of likes to remain hidden. It's sort of fun. You know, you, you make something for your friend, and you kind of hide, and you see they come, and they find their room's been cleaned, and there's a plate of prasadam there and flowers, and you're hiding behind the curtain to see their reaction. And if they come in and say, oh, nice room. What do you want them to say? Oh, who did this? You want it to be a spark for a relationship. So that's it. That's the process of bhakti in a nutshell. And everything we're doing, our serving the deity, our preaching Krishna consciousness, our loving exchanges with the devotees, our chanting japa, our chanting in the kirtan, our various services for the mission of Srila Prabhupada, Everything we're doing has that as its essence to always remember, oh, it's Krishna. (laughs) It's not this and that. And when we feel ourselves becoming materially affected, like Bart here is becoming materially affected, stop and say, wait a minute, why am I affected? It's because I'm thinking the means of delivery are my shelter instead of actually seeing who my shelter is. And if Krishna Krishna wants to change the means of delivery, that's up to him. That's his business. But I trust that he's always my protector and he's always my maintainer and he's fulfilling all of my needs on every level. 
even my material needs, what to speak of my ultimate spiritual needs. He's the one who's taking care of me. He's always here. He's my best friend. He knows what he's doing. And therefore, my only anxiety is whether or not I have a relationship with him. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes. Because you're there. Yes. yes. I think the wives of the Brahmins also say okay. And that's also explained in the um, conversation between Sukadeva Goswami and Maharaj Prickett about why the residents of Vrindavan became so attached to their children when their children were Krishna. He said, how could they be more attached to other people's children than their own children? Because that just doesn't happen, generally speaking. You don't feel more attachment to other people's children than your own children. It just doesn't happen. It would be very unusual. And Sukadev Goswami said, well, actually, the only reason you're attached to your children is because Krishna's there. So the real attachment is for Krishna. So when you have directly Krishna, then the attachment's going to be greater. He said the reason we're attached to ourself is because Krishna is the self of the self. He's the super self. I mean, I'm attached to this body because I'm in it. Believe me, when I'm not in it anymore, I won't be attached to it. I mean, some people do when they become ghosts, but generally not. If you even read accounts of people who have near-death experiences, a lot of them, probably half or more, once they're out of their body, they don't even know it's them anymore. They just look and they think, well, that guy's really having a hard time. Most of them don't want to go back, yeah. But most of them don't even identify with it anymore. They're just like, wow, that woman really got hurt, didn't she? <laughs> and it takes them a while. Oh, that's my body. And generally, the emotional attachment is not there. It's not there. I mean, once it's, it's like, you know, if you've got old torn clothes, I mean, you might feel sorry for a moment that, you know, when I was in, in Sydney recently at their uh, kirtan room, they have a lot of candles. And they had one candle that was like this high in a little holder. I didn't see it at all. It wasn't eye level. And I, I just didn't see it. So I was talking to someone, and all of a sudden we smell something, and my whole jacket had burned up. And it all melted. You know, I was sorry because I liked the jacket, but I didn't have any attachment to the jacket anymore. They were saying, oh, maybe you can sew it. I'm like, God, no. <laughs> Got a big melted hole in the back. So we're attached to this body because we're in it. And what I'm really attached to is me. And therefore you see that, you know, even people, their bodies are all broken and they're still taking care of it because they're in it. And why am I attached to me? Because Krishna is ultimately within me. Actually, I'm attached to Krishna. So that's even true for my attachment to myself, that it's really ultimately an attachment to Krishna. What to speak of my attachment to everybody else and everything else? I'm actually attached to Krishna. Yes? Okay. I'm not sure if I understand your question. Would you commit suicide? <laughs> you probably wouldn't, though. Well, Krishna thinks every life is valuable. That doesn't mean that Krishna thinks that what everybody does in their life is valuable. But Krishna thinks each living entity is valuable. They're part of him. It's like saying some part of your body isn't valuable. You know, would you say, well, I, I don't need this finger, you know. It's not like that. <laughs> I, I can do without this. Yeah, sure, you know, cut the finger off. Who cares? So we're part of Krishna eternally. He cares about each of us. 
But as far as whether particular individual lives are worthwhile, there's a lot of living entities who spend a life doing something that's really a waste of time. But that's not so much whether or not they're poor or rich, whether they're breathing exhaust fumes or whether they're living at the top of the Alps and breathing fresh air. That's not really what determines whether or not a person's life is really lived in a way that's helpful to them. Yes. It was intentional. It was definitely intentional. At his level of bhakti, it was intentional. Okay, so we, we could answer this on, on an intellectual level or on a, a practical level. Let's go first for a practical level. You can tell whether or not it's Krishna by how you feel. Our attachment to Krishna will bring you joyfulness. It will bring you peace. Um, it expands knowledge. Pratyaksha bhagamam dharmam susukam kartimagyayam. Pratyaksha, you directly experience it, susukam. You become very happy. Brahma Bhuta Prasanat Manasarchatina Kanchati Samasarveshu Bhuteshu Madhbhaktim Labhateparam. You will not hanker or lament for anything material. If my relationships with others are really out of attachment to Krishna, then whether I have a relationship with them or not is not is not the source of my happiness. What's what source of my happiness is whether or not Krishna is pleased. My happiness is then within. My happiness isn't dependent on external circumstances. If when the circumstances are shaken, I become disturbed, then my attachment is misplaced. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. And then you don't have to, you know, kill yourself. Right? You just say, oh, okay, I had this putting the food in my ears. Let me put it in my mouth. I mean, it's, it's, how do you know you're putting food in your ears? It hurts. It's pretty simple. How do you know you're putting food in? It's like, how do I know whether I'm putting food in my mouth or my ears? Well, if you put food in your mouth, it tastes good. It feels good. You feel, this is what it says in the Bhagavatam, 11th Canto. You feel simultaneously nourishment, satisfaction, and freedom from hunger. And if you put it in your ears, you're going to get an earache. And your hunger's not going to go away. Now, when that happens, I can blame the food or I can blame my ear. You know, that's another sign. If I'm blaming other things in my surroundings for my, my distress. You know, if only this person would treat me better, then I would be happy. If only my health could be good. If only I had more money. If only people acknowledged the important contributions that I'm making. Whatever it may be. If only the sun would shine a little more in Belgium. I got so excited the other day when the sun came out. It's like, the sun! I can chant my Gayatri meditating on the light of the sun. But that, that's a good clue. That if the circumstances and the people in your environment are not doing what you would like them to do, how do you feel? Are you still peaceful? You may have to take steps as part of your service, but inwardly, are you peaceful? Or are you dependent on other people's behavior and circumstances for your happiness? Or do you feel a sense of freedom? So, you know, it may be mixed, but you start with something. So that's your main test. 
main, main test is a very personal one. Yes, You want to know what in my devotional life has been really disturbing? And then what will you do with that information? I don't know if I can answer that in a few seconds. I remember when I went to the Joppa retreat, I was staying in a room with three other ladies. Two of them were fairly new to Krishna consciousness. And they asked me this question. It was the first time anyone had ever asked me that. What followed was not a very enlivening conversation. And then I said, maybe you should ask me something else. Um, the things that disturbed me the most, that were, that were um, improper behavior on the part of people with titles and positions in the Hare Krishna movement. So the two most shake me to the roots of my faith events were both events like that. One when I was very new in the Hare Krishna movement and uh, one several years later. Now how did I heal that? Well the first one it was uh, I almost gave up my practice of Krishna consciousness. I came within a millimeter. I didn't but I almost did. It was really funny. I kept chanting my rounds, but I was planning on leaving. I was thinking, where can I go? And I was at a temp. I was it had been in a temple for quite some time, where we were not reading Srila Prabhupada's books. The philosophy there was just work hard. It's funny. I was talking to another devotee recently, who had joined the temple like that, and she had been a practitioner of Astanga Yoga previously. In fact, she had been in training to be an acharya of a sangha yoga. And so she was only sleeping two or three hours a day by her practices. And she said so they would make her work all day. And she, if, she, if they ever caught her reading Bhagavad Gita, they'd put her to work doing something. She said the only way she could read Prabhupada's books was to get up at midnight and actually sit on top of the toilet with Prabhupada's books. Otherwise, they would make her work hard. So I was in a temple that wasn't quite that bad, but almost... And the quality of the Shastra classes was very low. People were mostly just talking about all the sinful activities they did before they joined the Hare Krishna movement. Seriously. And so I hadn't touched Prabhupada's books for maybe six or eight months. So that was my, my condition. And what, helped, what healed me was uh, something my husband said and, and, my, and then going back to Bhagavad Gita. My husband said, you don't judge a university by the students who go and party. You judge it by the professors and the graduates. And he said, even so many of Prabhupada's godbrothers were not at the standard, and that doesn't mean Prabhupada gave up his Krishna consciousness. So he said those two things to me, and that sort of reoriented me. And then I picked up Prabhupada's, after he said that, I picked up Prabhupada's Gita. I just started reading the introduction. And by the time I was at page 10 in the introduction, I said, oh... That's Krishna consciousness. What that guy's doing is not Krishna consciousness. That guy and this is not the same, and it's okay. And my face should be in this, not in him. And it, it permanently changed me. It made it was a permanent change. That it, it taught me that I better keep a firm connection with Srila Prabhupada's books. <laughs> that I wasn't going to let other people um, push me in directions where I would lose that connection in the name of submission and surrender, that I was going to take personal responsibility for my own Krishna consciousness, that surrender to Krishna didn't necessarily mean surrender to every devotee in the Hare Krishna movement, even if they had a title and a position. There are some people with titles and positions that are very exalted Vaishnavas, and there's some people with titles and positions that aren't. And some people who are washing the pots who are very exalted Vaishnavas and some people who are washing the pots that aren't. You know, we have very exalted persons here and not so very exalted persons here. Some of them are here and some of them are there. And then uh, quite a few years later then I had another even more disturbing situation 
the first one was very personal. The second one was not personal, but it was, it was very disturbing. At that point, at least I already knew these basic things, but it was still, I was quite disturbed for a while. About three years I was very disturbed. How did I heal? I think it was just time. And just going on with the practices of Krishna consciousness and, you know, gradually getting, getting back to the point where I could feel peaceful. Now, as far as, those were the only major things. Just those two major, if you're really talking about major. And then minor things, that happens all the time. Yeah. Where something I'm depending on for my service and somebody, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, and and then, then I just have a few, what do I do to heal it? Well, I've come up with a few mantras. Would you like to know my healing mantras? They're real simple. So Krishna will meet all of my needs in his own perfect way, in his own perfect time. And if I'm upset, it's because I'm thinking that somebody or something or some other circumstance will meet my needs other than Krishna. So at least to know that. That doesn't mean that the emotions go away in two seconds, but generally within a short time they go away and you're just like, okay. You know, my prob- in other words, my problem is not this person. My problem is not this situation. My problem is not, is not going to be solved by this and that. My problem is that I went to the wrong shelter and that I have to go to Krishna's my shelter and he's going to meet all my needs and he always does and he's always perfect about it and I don't really need to worry about it. And sometimes I may have to think of a specific circumstance. I may have to say, okay, remember when this, you know, when you had no money and you had no home and you had no this and you had no that and still you were taken care of. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, well, okay, well, even if everything gets taken away, you'll still be taken care of. Right, right, okay, fine. Even if all these people hate me and all these plans go, you know, fail and all my equipment breaks and my body breaks and they say, we don't really want you staying at Radhadesh anymore. Why don't you go live out on the street? No, that still Krishna will take care of me because he always has. So that's, that's the most helpful ones. And then one, a friend of mine told me, in the end, everything will be okay. So if it's not okay, it's not the end. So I really like that one. I really like that one. Or when, the one I had before that was, it'll all be okay. And even if it's not okay, it'll still be okay. You just, it, it, you just you see that after a while. And Krishna has his own plans. And sometimes when he's changing the delivery methods, you get a little hiccup for a while. And he takes care of what we need in so much of a better way than I could do it. And then you see the lives of other people who go through catastrophes. That was all for the good. And they went through some horrible catastrophe. It was terrible. Their life was ruined, but it wasn't. And you see them a couple years later, and they're bright and shiny and happy, and yeah, now I see how it's all Krishna's plan. You're like, okay, and you learn from that experience too. You know, people will write you letters, and oh, you know, they're spreading these terrible rumors about me, and I have to leave my service, and I have to leave the temple, and I have no place to go, and I only have 20 euros in my pocket, and what will I do? And then you get another letter a month later. Oh, I'm at this temple, and everything's wonderful, and I finally got exactly what I wanted, and I have the perfect service, and I feel like I'm exactly in my right place. Okay. And then you also see that that, that Krishna, he, he takes care of things. And that, you know, he knows what's going on. He's in control. Like when we were a little kid and we fell asleep in the back of the car when our parents were driving and we woke up in a strange room. You know, you just trust. When you're a little kid, you don't say to your parents, are you looking at the map? Do you know where you're going? I mean, you might say, when are we going to get there? But, you know, you trust that they know what they're doing, even if sometimes they don't. (laughs) And then they just pick you up in your sleep and they take you to the hotel room and put you down Something like that. Is that all right? Ah, is there anybody else? Yes, we
<laughs> yes, everything is Krishna. Just like I was, I was listening to one lecture where Prabhupada was talking about rasas. And he said, whenever we are enjoying anything, we are enjoying Krishna. He said, even somebody who's a murderer, who's enjoying murder, what he's enjoying is the ghastly rasa. But he's doing it improperly. So if everything's Krishna, if I actually realize that everything's Krishna, then I'll have a proper relationship with everything. So if I go in your room, like one of the devotees was helping me clean my room the other day. So if in the name of, well, it's all Urmila's, let me steal it. You know, is this is Urmila's, let me take care of it. Or it's Urmila's, let me steal it. It's like saying, you know, Krishna's giving me something as my quota. My quota to take care of or my quota to break. Like the Christians say, we have dominion over the animals. Dominion for what? To kill them or to take care of them. So yeah, Krishna says I'm the sound in ether. So it means every sound is Krishna. Every single sound. The sound of a jet engine taking off. The sound of people drilling the earth for oil. The sound of tortured people screaming. It's every sound is Krishna. He says I'm the sound in ether. But how are you going to treat sound? If you actually know that sound is Krishna, how will you interact with sound? You'll interact in service. How do you interact with sound in service? And there we, there we have a science. How do you interact with everything in the mood of service and love? You know, if you love your husband and you see his shoes that are his favorite shoes, you don't express your love for your husband by cutting them up into pieces. Well, it's his, and I'm interacting with him. You know, no, you interact with sound in a way that's loving. So that, that's the science, the science of bhakti yoga, the science of yukta vairagya, is how to use Krishna's energy in Krishna's service in a loving servant mood. But yeah, for somebody just beginning, then that's a nice start. Like Robert said, the person drinking wine can think the taste of this wine is Krishna. So at, at a beginning level, okay, that's acceptable. Listen to any sound and say, that's Krishna. Okay. But then progress from that. You don't stay that point. If I really know that the taste of wine is Krishna, then I want to get my relationship with Krishna not with the wine. And if I have my relationship with Krishna, Krishna doesn't want me to drink wine. That's not how, the way he wants me to appreciate his taste. He wants me to appreciate his taste in another way. I don't want my friends to get pleasure from torturing me. I want them to get pleasure from being nice to me. If we get pleasure from doing things that are painful to Krishna, that's not very nice. Although that pleasure we get is also Krishna. It can't be anything else but Krishna. Is that okay? Right, I think we... Like, one minute. Did you have something else you wanted to ask? Perhaps, but I think they're, they're, I take them as, as well. For me, there are elaborations and variations on both Yavam Yagatapasam Sarvalok Maheshram Suvadam Sarvabhutanam Gadvamam Shanti Richanti. For me, that's the verse that there are elaborations on, and Yoga Kshema Vahamiham. Yes, that's right. But I couldn't start with Martyr Sparsha's Tukante. I have to start with the other ones. Because if I start with Martyr Sparsha's Tukante, then I'm just going to go to impersonalism or voidism and hard-heartedness. That alone doesn't, doesn't help me. But if I start with Yoga Kshema Vahamyaham, which relates back to near Yoga Kshema Atmavan, and I think it's 243. 
that be free from all anxieties for gain and safety and, be, gain and safety and be situated in the self. Near yogic shema, same thing, yogic shema. Why? Because yogic shema vaham yaham. Because I'm going to take care of whatever you, whatever you have, I'm going to take care of whatever you lack, I'm going to provide. And then suridam sarvabhutanam, you're my best friend. And sarvaloka maheshram, you run everything. And Bhokturam Yagatapasam, you're actually the one meant to enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not meant to be the enjoyer of what I'm doing. What I'm doing is for your pleasure. My, my happiness is, are you happy with what I'm doing? And you're the one running the show, and you have all the energies, and you're my best friend, and you're going to take care of everything. So then, whatever happens in the delivery system is, is irrelevant. It's actually irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. You know, if, if my mother's cooking for me, which she didn't do very often, she wasn't much of a homemaker, but, you know, if my mother's cooking for me, then even if lunch is normally at 2 and today it's at 2.45, I'm not going to worry about it. Or even if she made something a little different, you know, if she's a really good cook and she's my mother, well, what am I? I don't have any anxiety. Something like that. Is that all right? Thank you, all glorious Shishila Prabhupada.